Welcome to the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. We hope you're encouraged by today's message and encounter God's heart through it. To find out more about us, visit lifechurchstpeters.com. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Life Church St. Peter's, and we're thrilled you're here. My name is Tom Kyle. This is Randy in the front row, and we have the privilege and pleasure of serving here. I do want to open up the scriptures this morning. I'm going to uh, be brief and amazing. You're laughing. Why are you laughing? I just wanted to read this verse as you pray and consider what to do uh, for Rory and Marjorie, or if to do. It, it may be praying. Please, please, please. It may be financial. But uh, Mike came up uh, and shared, Mike Stafford came up and shared a scripture that means the world to me. I just want to read it again. Isaiah 58, 9 and 12. And it's a powerful, powerful passage of scripture. I'd love to read the whole chapter, but we're just going to hit these three or four verses again. It was out of this verse, the Lord spoke to me on August 11 of 1977. I'd been a Christian for eight whole days, and God spoke to me out of this chapter, and it just changed my life and my world and still communicates. But it's, it's God calling for soft hearts, his people having soft hearts. And when we have soft hearts, we tend to do a little bit better in being obedient to Jesus. Is that true? Isaiah 58, just verse 9 through 12. The word of God says, Then you will call, and, after repentance and softness, then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, I need to do something. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you always and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Verse 12, and this is a messianic promise, a messianic verse, but it applies to us made in his image, called by his name. Verse 12, your people, us, will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. And you will be called repair of broken walls, restore of streets with dwellings. And broken walls are broken people. Streets with dwellings, they, they will be restored and repaired because of us doing exactly what Jesus did in his image, in his name. So I, I love this verse. Thank you, Mike, for sharing it. I think it was extremely apropos for the entire morning. Um, so thank you. So just pray, read, uh, rest before Jesus and say, Lord, what would, what would you have me do? What would you have us do? Amen? Amen. Amen. This morning I went to... Uh, continue in a vein, a it's going to be a little different. We've been doing a series on family for a number of weeks. And one thing about family is family sees everything that's behind the scenes. You, I, we have, anybody else have a church face? You show up on, you're out in the parking lot and you're like, 
okay, we're going to go home. That dog just made a mess in my house. You know, we're going to make some decisions. And the decision is not a cat. I, uh, they're cats. <laughs> There's only so much you can, you know. But at home, people see you as you really are. They see how you wake up in the morning. They see how you fuss about this or complain about this. Or, you know, you just, it's like Sunday face just drops to the side. And reality face is right there. And this morning, what I just want to touch on, it's been up on the screen for a second. Family sees the reality inside family. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Huh. What in the world? We're good. Now, some of the younger folks may not cotton on to that. It was a famous Clint Eastwood movie called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I won't go into it, but sometimes that can describe our lives. We have challenges, we have great days, we have painful days. And sometimes as family, we can see the worst in each other as well as the best. Our, our family should get our best. They absolutely should. I was reminded this this morning, I was up walking early, and my wife and I, we were, we were living in England, and our children were much smaller, but our, our eldest was 12, maybe 13, beautiful girl, and uh, she had this thing that she did at dinner. She would put the fork in her mouth, put her teeth on the fork, and <clears throat> scrape her, and I was like, no. And I must have told Kelly, 3,000, probably 38 times, please don't do that. And she'd go, what, Daddy? And one, one dinner, my wife still makes fun of it. She did it again. I, I, honestly, I don't think she was doing it on purpose. But she did it again. Pulled that, and his teeth on metal coming out of her mouth. And she just kind of looked up at me with little corners of her smile. <laughs> she kind of raised her eyebrows, almost saying, like that? <laughs> and so I took my fork. I said, don't do this. And I chipped my tooth. <laughs> I didn't laugh. <laughs> it was so cool. It's still right there. <laughs> Sometimes our, our family can see the good, the bad, and the ugly in our lives. And one of the beautiful things that I love is Jesus puts the good and the bad and the ugly right here. It doesn't hide. It's not just the good stories, the pretty stories. You know, Mary prayed. They got healed. Everybody loved each other, you know. It, it, it shows some things in here that is just almost painful to observe. But I think the Holy Spirit in heaven doesn't want things hidden. Right. Family does, can't at times hide things. We're at home. It's obvious. It's, it's real. Hebrews 4.13 says this. Nothing in all creation 
is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. There will be a day I stand before God and I will give an account. I don't think anybody noticed it. I don't think anybody saw it. But it was that thing in my heart, in my mind that I said internally, maybe even externally. I was on my own. Nobody saw it. All good. You know, I was going to do a golf phrase. That's JC's. Sometimes when you hit a ball out of bounds, cheaters drop a ball, nobody sees it. God saw you drop that ball. That's, a, that's cheating. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of the Lord. He sees it all. He sees the good, the bad, and the ugly. The, no, the Lord knows what's truly happening inside my heart and my mind. Jeremiah 17, 10 says this. I, the Lord... Search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Now, there is a thing in, in most people, and I don't understand it, but I simply am aware of it because I'm afflicted with it also. As soon as we go to things like this, it's like, oh, what if it's great things? What if it's wonderful things? We tend to think, Many people tend to think, immediately we go to the dark side. All those things that are hidden, oh, if they, please don't show my mind and my heart up on the screen. I had a bad, I need, I shanked the ball. Thank you, JC. I shanked the ball into the woods all week. Don't show my heart up there. We tend to think of all those things that are hidden are all negative. But what if some of them are beautiful? What if some of those things that are going on in here and here, he's going to reward you forever? The scripture talks a lot about reward. Eternal reward. And that we can go to the negative side and think, oh, oh, I messed up again. But things happen on the inside. We have motives, we have motivations, and sometimes they become apparent. But many times they don't become apparent, and it's just the things on the inside, no one knows what's really happening on the inside of me. Anyone ever think that? I don't want anybody to know what's happening. Let's just let them remain secret. Many of you will know, two weeks ago today, I flew to England from Chicago. I drove to Chicago, drove to England for some meetings, and I came back last Sunday. Got here early in the morning, and it was just a six-day, seven-day trip in England, and I will admit, I love flying. Anybody like flying here? I usually use a, a plane when I fly. <laughs> My wife hates flying. But in, to go to England from Chicago O'Hare is eight hours. It's a long flight. And I always try and fly overnight going there for different, you know, I can sleep. And I got on this plane two weeks ago. I was sitting towards the back. There was three seats, then the middle and the other side. But I was on three seats and I'm on the aisle. And things are looking good. It's not a, it's not a hugely crowded flight, but it's pretty full. And you just have these things that happen to you if you fly a lot. You always hope for nice people to be sitting around you. And you also have one prayer, petition, request to Jesus. No babies around you. None. They're up in first class with all the rich people. So I'm sitting there, and a family of nine comes down. Mom and dad, four kids, sister and brother-in-law. And the dad sits directly in front of me with Bobby. Bobby's 18 months old. It was an eight-hour flight. He screamed for five hours. 
And I'm not talking cried, screamed. Screamed. I did not sleep a wink all night. Now, I have some compassion because my wife and I made several international trips when our kids were younger. And our kids screamed. So I have some compassion. But I also have prayer. I say, Lord, Bobby, shh. So now we're coming, I'm coming back by myself, flying from London to O'Hare. And I have the same prayer. I'm on the other side of the plane now, still on the aisle, two seats, then the window. So it's empty, empty, empty. It's six minutes before the plane shut and we're ready to back up. Six minutes, no one's sitting next to me. Bobby's not on this flight. I'm doing so good. I, I was, man, this is great, 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 great. And then just the last second, down my aisle comes Floyd, Carla, and Cindy Sue. And Cindy Sue is about 18 months. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I reject these people to the other side, other side. But good news, good news. I've got two empty seats next to me. So the dad walks right past and goes to five rows back. Mom and 18-month-old Cindy Sue sit directly next to me. Cindy Sue isn't in front of me. She's next to me. Little car seat next to me. Next to me. Mommy's on the window seat. And I'm like, <laughs> I can do this. I can do this. I've done this with my kids. I can, do, I can so do this. I'm looking back at the dad, and I'm like, I'm not a surrogate dad for you, dude. You, you had Cindy Sue. She's yours. And so we're sitting there for about five minutes. The plane's ready to shut the door and go. And this is a long story. I'm sorry. I'm going somewhere. And I just looked at the woman, the mom, and I just tears, deep compassion. And I said, would you like me to swap seats with your husband? I'm a Christian. I didn't say that. <laughs> I value families together. I do. I do. So committed to mom and dad both being there for this beautiful little girl, Cindy Sue. And she didn't speak a lot of English. And I immediately began praying in tongues and gift of interpretation and all that. And I said, Dad. Dad? And finally she says, yes. <laughs> so I went back five rows, got dad. He finally figured out what I wanted. And he sat down. And there was two ladies in the middle section sitting right next to me. And they're like, that was kind. <laughs> and being the person of integrity that I am, I said, I know. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. You don't know the half of it, ma'am. Jesus just runs through me. I'm all about family. <laughs> okay. It was probably the most selfish thing I've done all year long. <laughs> I didn't care about family. I wanted to sleep. <laughs> Oh, baby. And I'm just going to say, honest, before Jesus, I didn't hear a peep out of that child the whole flight. Not a peep. And I, I think it's just because, you know, it has nothing to do with that. 
But the thing was, the, the point is, a lot of people thought I was a really good person, a kind person, a generous person, a noble person. Why would they think that? They're, it's external. They're judging my motives. They're judging my, <laughs> my good actions, my nobility. Proverbs 5.21 says this. For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. I repent. Sorry. Amen. Bad motivations. But it's that thing in life when we think at times that, you know, it's, we can harbor things in our hearts towards people. Hurts, frustrations, past, you know, it just, we can harbor these things. And at times we have, we're delusional. We think they don't harm me. They don't harm the situation. But the Lord sees everything. Everything. And he knows my motivations were 6% on a good day, possibly. Good. 94% selfish. But no one would have known that around me. They just would have thought, what a nice man. Maybe some other parents would have said, I know you, you little weasel. <laughs> but Lord, you know my heart. Let's read another passage of scripture. The, the early church was amazing in many ways. It was amazing. It obviously began in Jerusalem and spread out from there, but it was amazing. There was major need in the early church, just as there's needs, just like with Rory and Marjorie, there's needs. And what they began doing in the early church, because thousands and thousands and thousands of people got saved, they began meeting the needs of families inside their church. They began selling possessions, selling homes to meet the needs inside the family. It was beautiful, amazing. It's kind of how Acts chapter 4 ends. And we pick it up in Acts 5, verse 1. Let's read 11 verses. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. We, some of us know this passage. It's so fun. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias. This is the apostle Peter. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? He could do anything he wanted with it. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. See, Ananias sold it for, say, 100000 And he came to the apostles as if he was, you know, giving this full price of 60000 But he'd kept forty back. There would have been no problem him keeping forty back. No problem at all. But he made the church and Peter believe the full price was 60000 There's your lie. He's doing something amazing. Has anybody sold the house for $100,000 and given 60 of it away? I have not. Pretty noble guy, you would think. But he wanted to deceive people or give people the impression of something that wasn't true. Early church. Here's just a thought. I had this thought this week. We all want signs and wonders. Do we not? We all want signs and wonders. 
With signs and wonders, I think, comes a cost. Some Holy Spirit integrity. I don't think you can have one without the other. Anyway. What have you... It's a light message, light message. What, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And it's going to be a very costly price today. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will also carry you, they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down dead at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these events. And great things continued to happen. It was theirs to do with whatever they wanted. The money. Psalm 69.5 says this. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Psalm 139, verse 1 through 4. We're gonna, it's going to get better. Hang in there. Psalm 139, verse 1 through 4. You have searched me, Lord. And you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You know when I give up my seat selfishly for some dad. You know me. And when I rise. And you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Mark 12. Is it okay if we read scripture? Mark 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. How does Jesus know that? How does he know? Because he knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. And that was Jesus in the flesh and blood, just reading a situation. But he's, he's bringing a principle to his disciples. It's all about the heart. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all about the heart. And I, I may fool people in the plane, but Jesus knows my motivations. And do I have the self-awareness? Do, do I have a soft enough conscience to actually say, oh, Lord, God bless him. I do want Dad to sit next to Sissy Sue for good reasons. But Lord, in all my dealings with all people, how much, how much do I value integrity? How much do I value Lord, you can search my heart. You know, you know all about me. 
I want to live before you in a, in a manner of integrity. It makes a difference how I treat my wife behind the door. It makes a difference how I speak to kids. I was walking in England while I was there, and it was kind of a grandmotherly lady with a little five-year-old, and she walked out of a store, and she's shouting at this little boy she's carrying along, kind of pulling along. She said, you know you're a toad. And I was like, what? Because I know what that means in England. It's not good. It's no better than here. Three times she said, you know you're a toad. Stop acting like a toad. I, 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 the gift of compassion did not come on me. The gift of wisdom did because I didn't address her. But the Lord sees all that, how I speak to people, how I treat people. With Cain and Abel, beautiful, again, I won't go into the story in Genesis 4. Both of them brought an offering to the Lord. Both of them did. One was the first and the best, and the other one was something, and a part of something. And the Lord rejected one of them and accepted one of them, then their offering. I think my, my heart makes a difference. And in family, sometimes we see things in our family that's not pretty. But sometimes we don't recognize maybe the pain somebody's going through in the midst of it. And we can judge them or we can speak ill or think of them poorly. Because I don't, I don't know someone else's pain. Only the Lord sees the heart and knows. Right. But in, the, in family, we see it. With, with money. And it, do you think Jesus really needs your money? John Block. Do you think things are tight in heaven and the Lord needs your money? No, probably not. Kev? A couple of angels are hurting right now. We're going to pass the basket in a bit. Like a flap not working good. You need to give some money. The Lord doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need an, a dime of it. But he asks us to be generous on all occasions because there's something revealed about my heart in the act of doing things. Where am I really at? God doesn't need my money, but he does need me to have a soft heart. John 1, verse 43 says this. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel. Everybody say Nathaniel. Nathaniel found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about and the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, Jesus said of him, here truly is an, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Some translations will say no guile, no mixture, no unhealthy motivations. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Oh, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe me because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He then added, 
Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus could see the beauty on the inside of this man. He wasn't just out as the cop looking for all the dirt on every street corner. Jesus identified the beauty inside of people all the time. Mary, Martha, Lazarus. He's just, he's not a, he's not, Jesus isn't and wasn't a dirt digger. But he did want reality. He did want to say what he saw so that we have an opportunity to change. Like the scripture we had earlier, we have an opportunity to repent, to change. It's a big churchy word that makes people freak out. It simply means change. An opportunity to change, to be different. If we've left our first love, if we know things have grown dim or just things have jumped in, whether it's worries, concerns, he doesn't condemn you. He's a dad. He says, come on, son, come on. I would say, sissy Sue, that's not right. Come on, young lady, let's change. Let's see where you really are on the inside because I see it. And you're, you're called for greater things than living beneath and below, curmudgeonly and fussy and complaining and negative. You're called for greater things. Great, but how? Great, but how? How do I do this? Three quick things. The first thing is this. How can I live understanding God sees everything. He sees my motivations. He sees my thoughts, my attitudes, my intentions on the inside, no matter what other people think, good or bad. How do I, how do I get, keep, get and keep my heart right? Out of that Isaiah 58 passage we read. How do I do that? The first thing is live understanding eternal reward. Live with an understanding. I'm going to stand before him on that day, capital D in the Bible in Corinthians. I'm going to stand before him. He, he is going to openly reward people. It doesn't make any difference if I get a, a dime, a simple acknowledgement, never comes. I've served and slaved in the nursery for 93 years and seven days. Nobody says thank you except, why is my child's nose still snotty? <laughs> There's a day you're going to be rewarded. Revelation 22.12 says it's red letters. Red letters. Revelation 22.12. Look, this is Jesus speaking, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. It's worth it. I'm going to be blessed and rewarded forever. I may not have a nickel to my name on this earth. The people in India, Albania, Africa, not a nickel to their name. But all we have to do is live in light of him and love people rightly with great motivations, great heart, with integrity in my heart to own up to when I'm wrong and when I'm missing it or I've offended you, I spoke poorly to my wife. Just admit it. God sees, and I, I can't fool him. It's almost like I kind of laugh when Adam's in the garden and God, it's, he send and God kind of walks into the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? <laughs> oh, you sneaky little guy. You're hiding behind trees. You know I don't do trees. <laughs> Jesus wasn't, it wasn't that he can't see through trees. He wanted Adam to understand, I see you. Do you know where you are? Son, you sinned. Let's make it right. And he immediately starts blaming. It's not my fault. It's her. 
He, he just wants right relationship. He wants humility and integrity. Lord, I did it. It's like, David, I did it. I'm the man. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. Four minutes and I'll land this thing. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 to 15. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or stubble, their work, my life, will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, the day of standing before him, will bring it to light. That day will bring my motivations. Tom, you didn't give up your seat because you're noble. You didn't want to sit next to a crane. You're right. I admit it. I want to get it right here rather than answer for it there. Does it make sense? I will, it will be revealed. My life will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. It, my life, if it has been, what has been built survives, the builder, that's me, that's you, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. It's not like you're going to hell. It's just, I, I lost the opportunity for eternal, forever reward. Even though only is one through escaping flames, through the flames. B, the first is live light in light of eternal reward. Second point, great but how? True community places a high value on reality. True community, true family places a high value on reality. James 5.16. So what do I do? James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'm struggling. I'm not, I'm not being nice to my kids. I'm not being nice to my dad. My neighbor, I want to punch him. Talk to somebody. Pray. Recognize I'm not in a great place in my heart. Can you pray for me? I want to have a soft heart. I'll deal with it much, much better with a soft, soft heart. Proverbs 18, 24. One or a person who has a re, an unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I wonder, where was, where was Ananias' friends? Where were Sapphira's friends? Hey, what are you going to do with that money? Well, we're going to give it to the church. All of it? Uh, uh, where were their friends? To ask them hard questions, straight questions, real questions. We don't know anything about Ananias and Sapphira. But real friends are real friends. They live in real community. Third and last thing, I'll close with this. Live in light of eternal reward. True community places a high value on reality. Third and final point, great, but how? How do I do this? Fear God, not people. Fear God, not people. This is a challenge for uh, some of us highly relational people who might tend to be people pleasers. The Bible says, it brings a snare, being afraid of people. Fear God, not people. Proverbs 29, 25. Oh, there it is. Proverbs 29, 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, a catch, a noose, a trap. 
Fear of man. I'm more worried about what you think. I just want to make you happy and think well of me. No, it's a fear of man. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. I want to have reverential awe. I don't want to be afraid and quake and not come before God. That's not the fear of the Lord. It's having reverential awe and respect. He's God and I'm not. When he tells me something to do or say, he's God and I'm not. Yes, I can have a, a discussion, but an argument with the holy almighty God, he actually allows you to do so. But where's the reverence? You know, I hear people saying I was yelling and screaming and shaking my fist at God. Ow, 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 ow. Don't. He's God. I am not. Psalm 115, verse 13. Psalm 115, verse 13. He will bless those who fear the Lord. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. When I understand the fear, the reverence, respect, awe of God, it causes me to pause and consider my choices. Last verse, Micah 6, 8. This is a great but how. It's one of my favorite in all the Bible. He has shown you, Tom, what is good. Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, Tom Kyle, what's good. And what does the Lord require of me? To act justly, to do what's right, to act justly, to love mercy. Don't show mercy, love it. Because if you love mercy, you're going to show it. And to walk humbly with my God. The message translation, or the message version, it's not necessarily a translation of the Bible, but it's brilliant and I love it. Micah 6.8 says this. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, and what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Father, I thank you for this beautiful family. I thank you for what you're continuing to do in my heart, that I could walk as a man of integrity as a person who uh, lives understanding there's a day coming. And I can live in light of that, and I will, can. I have the option, I have the opportunity to receive eternal reward. Because I admitted when I was wrong. I repented when I saw it, when I heard your voice. And I changed, and I turned towards you to do what's right, to love kindness, to love mercy, to act rightly. That my immediate family would always benefit first from what you're doing inside of me, not last. Help me to be and live in integrity, in reality. Father, as a family, help us. Lord, it's so easy for us to see the good, the bad, and the ugly and to judge one another. I think, well, they're only doing that because he's the pastor. Lord, help me to not judge other people's motives and assign motive to people. Give them what I think their motive is. To stop judging people. Help us as a family, in light of what we see, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to still love, to not reject, but to draw people close. Yes, have healthy boundaries. But help us, Lord, be a community that the world looks in and says, I would like to be part of that. That looks appealing. That looks like people really loving one another. 
and action and word. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be the people we're called to be. Bless us. Lord, we love you. We need you. Thank you for this amazing group of people. Bless us, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for checking out the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. For more podcasts and additional information, visit us at lifechurchstpeters.com.